You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning and happy Sunday to all of you pet lovers out there joining me this morning. I am your host for the next 30 minutes here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I am Dr. Jeff Werber, and we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to make your relationship with your pets amazing. We want to answer your questions, help you out with your problems, whatever it is, we want to hear from you. So uh, a couple of ways to get a hold of us. Number one, call us at 877-385-8882. Once again, that's 877-385-8882. You can also join in the conversation. Log on to PetLifeRadio.com. Go to the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. You will see our page, and there's a nice big box there, and it says you can just log on and join in the conversation. You can also send me a quick email to drjeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at petliferadio.com, and Mark Winter, my amazing producer, will send that off to me, and we will get you. Now, there's more than just information here, and there's more than just the benefit of getting your question answered, but for every caller, anyone who sent us an email, anyone who sends us a text, We'll get a free ProSense pet product and a Kong toy from our sponsors, ProSense and Kong. I mean, so you can't lose. Well, we could sit and chat. We can learn more about you, pick my brain, and at the very end of it, you're going to get some freebies as well. That's great. So for those of you that were uh, tuning in and way too embarrassed to uh, call, which is crazy, it's free. Uh, we were talking about the last several weeks. We were doing a series on the variations in the presentation of different problems and kind of give you some guidelines as to how many different types of vomiting, for example, there are and when you have to worry and when you don't have to worry. When do you have to rush to get a hold of your veterinarian or rush to an emergency center if it's in the middle of the night and when you don't have to? And we're sort of giving you some guidelines. And last week, and oh, actually kind of the week before that too, we started talking about another condition which we see extremely commonly, especially in our dogs, but cats as well, and that is limping. And we went through the gamut of the different types of limping problems, the different problems that would cause limping, and which ones are ones, again, that you need to really worry about like now, like today, make an appointment with your veterinarian, if it's in the night, when to rush to an emergency center, when you can wait till the next morning, etc. And uh, one of the things we were talking about that we left last week, talking about a very, very common, often overdiagnosed problem especially in our older pets, and we'll get to that in a minute, and that is canine hip dysplasia. Now, anybody who has a large breed dog, especially the popular ones, whether it's a golden retriever, a Labrador retriever, a German shepherd dog, a Rottweiler, these dogs are notorious. And even some of our smaller, interestingly, chondrodystrophoid brachycephalic breeds, those are the really short-legged dogs that have funny curved legs and long bodies, they too can, believe it or not, have hip dysplasia, as do chow chows. We see a lot of chow chows with hip dysplasia as well. And I think I, I shared a story, but I'm going to share it again, how I was uh, at the market here in town, and I'm, I'm out here in Los Angeles, and um, a guy comes over to me that, that was actually my older sister's class back in elementary school. I just don't want to tell you how long ago that was, but trust me, it was a long time ago. And uh, he obviously knows I'm a veterinarian, and um, he uh, came over to me and said, Jeff, can I ask you a question? I said, oh my God, sure. So uh, he's telling me about his daughter's dog, who was taken to the veterinarian, and they diagnosed hip dysplasia. And a couple of kind of those flashing red lights went on in my brain. Number one, I asked him, 
what the breed was. And the breed was a kind of a, a mixed herding dog type of dog in about a 45-pound range. And just so you know, interestingly, a lot of the herding dogs, the Australian Shepherds, the Queensland Healers, really don't have huge hip problems. Secondly, the dog was seven years old. And when did the uh, onset of clinical disease start? Started fairly suddenly. That's another red flag because, as we're going to learn, hip dysplasia symptoms in older dogs don't come on suddenly. I mean, yeah, there is one or two scenarios, as I mentioned, where you can you know, have severe hip dysplasia and then free up a little joint mouse, a little piece of bone, become a floater, get into the joint. Yes, that might cause some acute sudden pain, but typically it doesn't. So, and the third thing that bothered me was they thought they saw some, what they call incongruent on the x-rays. I said, you know what, Joel, send me the x-rays. I want to see the x-rays and then we'll go from there. So, of course, he sends me the x-rays and there, there is no way this dog was limping for hip dysplasia. I mean, it is true that you can't always gauge and predict a dog's clinical arthritic pain based on the x-rays. In other words, I've seen dogs with horrendous hips on x-rays, the worst arthritis I've seen, and yet they're moving around fine. And I've also seen dogs that, I mean, they have arthritis. It's not terrible on the x-ray, but they can barely move. So I, I understand that. But this, there is no way. It didn't fit the breed model. It didn't fit the onset of clinical disease. And it certainly didn't fit the x-rays. So I said, you know what? Have your daughter make an appointment with me. So actually, my friend Joel brought the dog in. And uh, sure enough, in two seconds, I had my diagnosis, and clearly, it wasn't hips. And it was another problem we'll, we'll get to. It's called lumbosacral instability, a very common cause of acute onset of pain, even when the condition is chronic. In other words, the condition could have been there for years, but the onset of clinical pain can be sudden, but not so much in hips. And here's what I often will, will say to a young doctor who, you know, dog comes in limping on the hind leg hind end, some tenderness, some pain, take x-rays, you see lousy hips, and um, they want to say, oh, here's your answer, it's hip dysplasia. And I want to say, wait a second, when and how did the clinical signs start? Well, they started uh, like pretty suddenly um, Monday morning. Uh, okay, then it's not hip dysplasia. Why? Because had I taken five weeks earlier, they would have looked exactly the same. Yet, two, three, five weeks earlier, the dog wasn't limping because it wasn't caused by the hip dysplasia. We need to look for other things. So when we do talk about dysplasia, because this is a common problem, there is a strong genetic predisposition, but again, to burst a few bubbles out there, only about 50% of hip dysplasia is congenital, is genetic. So what does that mean? That means the other 50% is environmental. It is how we feed these large breed, rapidly growing dogs, how we exercise, these large breed, rapidly growing dogs. So in other words, I can have a dog that genotypically is carrying genes for dysplasia, and depending on how I rear them, how I keep them fed, and during their growth phase, I can actually minimize or eliminate the actual signs of disease, the phenotypical signs of disease. Conversely, I can take a dog that does not have strong genetic predisposition, yet abuse some of the rules of rearing these large breed rapidly growing dogs and they can develop dysplasia. So one of the things we like to do early, first of all, some guidelines. When you have a dog that fits the breed model of dysplasia, we want to not, as many of my former Rottweiler owners would make the mistake of doing, want to have the biggest, baddest, meanest dog on the block and feed him like huge and get him by the time he's a year old, he's already muscular and tremendous and quite the athlete, sometimes even overweight, etc. You want to keep them lean, 
Likewise, if you're an athlete, and this burns me up when I see it, I see a guy who you can tell, or even a girl, that is very fit, loves to run, gets on the bike, does the 10-mile bike ride, does the five-mile-and-a-half, 10-mile run, and they have their young six-month-old golden or Labrador trailing behind them. That is one of the worst things you can do for a rapidly growing large breed dog. Go to the park, get out the tennis ball, get out the frisbee, do some playing, running around 10, 15, 20 minutes, back and forth, stop and go. That's the kind of exercise that these dogs can have. You don't want to force them into that persistent running, pounding the pavement during the growth phase, not until they're at least 18 months, preferably two years. As a matter of fact, the organization that will certify hips, called the OFA, the Orthopedic Foundation for Animals. They also certify elbows. They also work with SURF, which is the Canine Eye Registry Foundation. But the OFA will not even certify a dog's hips until they're at least two years of age. So that tells you something. That tells you that until they're about two, we don't want to make judgments. I've seen dogs that have great hips early on and end up with lousy hips. And I've seen dogs with very questionable hips, but by the time they're done growing, everything fit into place. Those hips moved into the nice deep sockets, and we have beautiful hips. So what should we do when we have that dog that we know is potentially a walking time bomb? So this is where we want to be very smart, and I recommend that if you have or know somebody who has, a family member, a friend, gets that large breed puppy, whether it's going to be the Labrador, the Golden, the Shepherd, the Roddy, you name it, okay, that you should have a scan x-ray film done of the hips at around 9 to 10 months of age. Why? Because there is a surgical procedure that could be done. It needs to be done if it's appropriate based on some other clinical diseases factors we look at on the x-rays. But if we have the candidate, the best time to do it is before a year of age. They like to do it between 10 and 12 months of age, they being the surgeons. And it's called a TPO, a triple pelvic osteotomy. And what it does basically is when you have that bad hip, there's an incongruity between the head of the femur called the ball of the ball and socket joint and the acetabulum, which is the socket of the ball and socket joint. And they're supposed to fit nice and tight into each other, but often they don't. And the ball is sitting somewhere out here And the general rule of thumb is greater than 50% of the head of the femur should be tucked in deep into the socket. Less than 50%, we may have an issue. What the TPO does, it creates what's called a hemipelvis, a half of a pelvis. Since you can't bring the ball to the socket, let's bring the socket to the ball. And so it repositions the socket to cover the ball appropriately. And then the surgeon will put a plate in and reattach the now modified hemipelvis, transpositioned hemipelvis into the actual pelvis, into the bone itself to create a sort of a, a differently shapen pelvis. But now it's going to cover the hip completely, cover the ball of the ball and socket joint. Now, This does not mean that if you were thinking, and you shouldn't be thinking this anyway, but if you were thinking because of whatever papers and and lifestyle you had that you wanted to breed your dog, this clearly does not give you the green light to breed your dog. As a matter of fact, if anything, you should have your dog neutered ASAP or spayed ASAP. This is not a pet you should be used for breeding. The reason why we are in the situation we're in with the number of dogs in America and the world that have hip dysplasia is because... Nobody was paying attention 
to their dog's condition, hip condition, and continue to allow this, this bad 50% of hip dysplasia genetics into the gene pool. So that's why we recommend the early dysplasia x-rays to rule out because if we can figure out early, there is something we can do to help prevent the onset of arthritis later on down the road. So I want to go uh, talk about after the break, which will be coming up in about 10 seconds, some of the other limb problems. A big one that we see in dogs, just like we see in people, is called the cranial cruciate ligament rupture, which is the ACL of dogs. And again, some different treatments, different things to look at, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. When we get back here at Pet Life Radio, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food, and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin, skin infections like hot spots, and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Hey there, pet parents. This is Christy Vaughn, host of The Doggy Dish. Do you love your furry companion? Do you love making him or her healthy treats but can't seem to find the time? Great news. The Doggy Dish is the perfect show for you. Every episode is chock full of healthy and easy recipes that are made with ingredients you most likely have on hand. Tune into The Doggy Dish for yummy and healthy recipes for your canine kids. Every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here with Dr. Jeff Werber, host of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And before the break, we were talking about hips and hip dysplasia and the poor likelihood that any in an adult dog that has hip dysplasia that is moving around just fine, that onset of clinical disease is going to be sudden. 
So in that your doctor takes those x-rays and comes back to you and says, oh, it's the hip dysplasia, you need to question it because it's most likely not the hip dysplasia that's causing today's problem. Not to say that it doesn't cause chronic arthritis, but the classic presentation is a dog who's just really starting to slow down, having that trouble getting up and down stairs, doesn't want to get up and lying down, takes a while to sit down or to get up. And when you take pictures, then you see whether either spondylosis along the spine, you see lousy hips. That's kind of more like it, just kind of stiff and sore and an ADR just ain't doing right. But when they're doing just, kind of just fine and they're going and they're chasing that ball and all of a sudden they come up lame one day and the x-rays show bad hips, you keep looking, keep looking. Speaking of, before we leave the hip thing and, and hip dysplasia, I had a case this week and reminded me that there are, are some other things that pet parents need to know, especially with young, small breed dogs and hips. You know, typically we always say that we don't see hip dysplasia in the small breeds, and we don't, except we talked about some of the chondrogistoid breeds. I know I have Frenchies. Frenchies can show up with hip dysplasia. Peaks can show up with hip dysplasia. Pugs can show up with hip dysplasia. But this is a different kind of condition. I had a dog in. It was a rescue. Bring these in. They pretty much, you know, bring one of those carriers. We put them into our cages. We examine. We check them out. Usually does not include take them out for a run. And these little little guys, they're always going from arm to arm to arm, from the rescue group's arms, you know, one of the volunteers, to our arms, into the cage, back into arms, to get anesthetized, to get the surgery done, etc. So uh, we had one such dog. And uh, it was like a little poo cross. I think it was a sheep poo, sheep poo, poodle, one of those. We see a lot of these, you know. You know, it, it was years ago. We used to call these dogs mutts, and they had zero value other than, of course, the value to the home. But you wouldn't sell a mutt. You were just happy to get rid of it, right? To find a home for it was, you know, if, you, if your dog there was an accidental breeding or you know whatever the case may have been. And you had these puppies, Heinz fifty sevens. You had no idea what they were. You were just calling all your friends trying to find, you know, homes for them. Now, there's the multi-poo and the sheep poo and the, and the boggle and the puggle. And I mean, they've come up with all these designer dogs and actually selling them, which I just find so amusing. But anyway, so after the surgery, that afternoon, the volunteer came to pick the dog up. Everything was fine. The dog was cute. Did great for the surgery. And they call me the next day and the dog is limping. What did we do? Now, how funny is that? That the assumption is, uh-oh, we must have done something. And I asked, I said, start a question. I said, well, do you really know what the dog was like beforehand? Because usually you bring them right to us because we have to get them spayed or neutered. And she goes, well, not really. I said, well, so we don't know what the dog was like beforehand. I said, you know what? Well, look, no problem. Bring the dog in. Let me feel. So feeling the dog and I feel an incongruity, a little what we call crepitus, something going on in the left hip. So take an x-ray and I got my diagnosis in two seconds. There is another disease that you need to know about that I wouldn't tell you is common, but in medical ease, we get to use the word, it's not uncommon. And not uncommon doesn't mean common. It's like that double negative, but when it comes to medicine and medical terms, it's not always the same. Because when something's uncommon, it hardly ever happens. It's uncommon. If you say it's not uncommon, it just means it doesn't never happen. It doesn't mean it happens all the time. It's not common. It just, when you say it's not uncommon to see, it's one of those things that you could see it. It, it fits the history. It's, it's not uncommon. But no, don't get me wrong to say, well, if it's not uncommon, that means it's common. Because no, it's not common either. It's just not uncommon. And it's called leg calf perth's disease. How funny that we're talking about a leg problem. And one of the guys that discovered this condition, his name was Dr. Leg, L-E-G-G. So it's leg cav or cave perthes p-e-r-t-h-e-s disease basically what it is it is an osteonecrosis of the femoral head and neck in english that means the bone has lost its blood supply and because of the loss of blood supply it is 
basically the bone is dying. So when you have a loss of blood supply and the bone dies, the femoral head and neck, it literally starts to disintegrate. I mean, literally disintegrate. So on the x-ray, you see what's left of this femoral head and neck. It looked like it also had a slipped epiphysis, which is a growth plate issue, but you could see the bony destruction was clear. So showed it to him, explained the disease. It's a pretty easy surgical fix. We do what's called an excision arthroplasty, also known as FHO, a femoral head ostectomy. And basically what we do is we just take a basically a, a bone chuck, like a, like a little a hammer and a bone chisel, and we remove the femoral head and neck. We stuff the area with some fat or some fascia, and these dogs do just amazingly well. We're just eliminating the joint, really. So they can't get arthritis because there's no bone on bone. We're removing the potential bone on bone. Uh, they do very well. So that is probably you know, the, the last thing we, uh, we see. And also just to, be, to talk about this other dog from my guy that I saw at the market and the fact that it was not hip dysplasia, it basically was a, uh, it's a condition that we see often, way more often, and it's one of the more underdiagnosed conditions. And the reason for that is a lot of veterinarians don't know what to look for. And until, interestingly, I started working with a board-certified veterinary surgeon in my practice, we learned nothing really. I wouldn't say nothing, but very little about this in veterinary school. And you know that was over 30 years ago. So it's, it's kind of like a, a newer diagnosis that's being made often. And it is very similar to the diagnosis that many of us have. And if you have any lower back pain, you probably know of LS disease. I have lumbosacral disease. And basically what it is, it is an excessive movement between the last lumbar vertebrae, in dogs it's L7 and people it's L5, that meets up with the first sacral vertebrae called S1, therefore LS disease, lumbosacral disease. Because of this excessive movement between these two adjacent vertebrae, the nerves that exit through the foramina, the opening between these two adjacent vertebrae are often pinched. And when they're pinched, it hurts. And these dogs will come up sudden, suddenly with pain, favoring a limb, not wanting to get up. And the typical presentation is a dog that is hesitant jumping up onto the couch or the bed or the chair, but no trouble jumping off. Hesitant to go up the stairs, but no hesitancy going down the stairs. You know, dogs will even say, up, up, you know, you want them to jump up on you. They won't do that anymore. So that, from a clinical perspective, is what we're going to see, which is interestingly, when I started questioning my friend Joel, when he saw me at the market, that's how I knew that we were not dealing with hip dysplasia. I don't care what the x-ray said, but the, he was answering all my questions appropriately. So what happens is when the dog's legs are pulled back in what we call extension, the vertebrae come together like this at the top. I don't know if you can see my fists, my knuckles, and they start touching and pinching. Sometimes even it slides up and this piece goes actually into the vertebral canal. However, when their legs are tucked under them, so picture a dog about to jump off the way their curved body is when they're jumping off that couch, when they're going downstairs, then it opens up that space. It's like, oh, it's relief. They feel actually feel good. And that's the difference. And therefore, LS disease is very common, usually can be treated medically on occasion. If it's really bad, it needs to be treated surgically. But I will tell you, when you have that large dog, arthritic dog that has clinical onset of signs rapidly, in other words, it's a sudden onset, regardless of what 
the x-rays may show about the hips. You need to start looking at other things. And LS disease, lumbosacral instability, is going to be one of the highest things on my list. So once again, there's so much to talk about when it comes to these problems. I really want you to understand your pets better. So we are going to, um, as I'm going to make a note to myself, next week we are going to cover the knees. We're going to cover the meniscus. We're going to cover the cruciate ligament, which is a really common problem. And one of the few that no matter how conservative you want to be and how much you want to avoid surgery, and I don't blame you, it's one of those injuries when it comes to the cruciate ligament that you're going to have a tough time avoiding surgery. We'll give you all the pros and cons next week when we're here, when you join me here. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radios. Uh, and we will uh, once again want to thank our sponsors, which are ProSense Pet Products and Kong. And again, none of you gave us a call at the very easy phone number, 877-385-8882. Write it down. Join us next week, 9 o'clock Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. We'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>